Awesome, awesome. Hey, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're worshiping with us here at our Noonan campus or at our LaGrange campus, I want to say welcome. I want to welcome both of our campuses. Let's give a big shout out to each other. Can you do that? We hear you, LaGrange. We hear you. Listen, I am so excited that you're here for the first Sunday of 2016. This is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal year. This is one of the series that we're going to kick off the new year with. I'm very, very excited about. It's been very difficult because God really gave us the idea for this series back in May. And if you don't know what it's like to keep something a secret from May until January, it is a very, very difficult thing. And so I'm excited that you're here. It's going to be a great four or five weeks together. And I promise you, I promise you, this series is going to impact your life. This is going to be the best way that you could kick off 2016. So how many of you guys are glad it's a new year? You glad? Yeah? Some of you are like, oh, I love 2015, okay? Some of you are like, dude, you're crazy, okay? You're like smoking crack. Like, what's wrong with you? I am ready for a new year. I love the moment when the, uh, the page turns, we turn on some new things in our life, we, we move on to some new things that God has for us. And I think this is going to be one of those series. So we're doing a series called Repurposed, okay? And for those of you that are not avid DIYers, the idea of repurposed has a lot of meanings to a lot of people. In fact, let me say this. If it wasn't for repurposing, Pinterest would have never been born, Right? Right? I mean, we would never know that you could take like, you know, like a snowflake and make like a Mexican food dinner out of it or something. I mean, Pinterest is just weird. But the whole idea of Pinterest is you can take anything and make anything with it. And so over the next four or five weeks, we're going to be talking about how God wants to repurpose our lives. But we got to understand what that word means. We're going to talk about it a little bit today. So I want to share with you some kind of deep inner uh, personal things that you may not know about me. Some of you know I kind of grew up in the Midwest. But uh, when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, I had a dream for my life, okay? I had what I thought was going to be the dream job. And I spent from the time I was six to about the time I was ten, about four or five years, every single day of my life, I woke up and this is what I wanted to become. I wanted to be a firefighter. We got any firefighters here? Both of our campuses? Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Every single day you risk your life. But I wanted to be a firefighter. You say, why is that? My best friend, Stephen, his dad, Milton, he was a firefighter. And there in Oklahoma City, we would drive by the fire station all the time to visit Steve's dad. In fact, I just got to say, Steve, you weren't that cool, but your dad, he was awesome, okay? And I remember driving by, and I wanted to go in every single time. Every time the doors would be up, I would make my mom drive by really slow because I wanted to see what engines were there. And I just thought it was really cool. And I just think it's funny because when you're small and when you're young, every one of us, we have a dream of what we think we want our life to be, right? Can you remember what it was for you? Maybe you wanted to be a musician. Maybe you wanted to be a dancer. Maybe you wanted to be like a, a politician, like I'm running for president, okay? I mean, maybe, what, what was it in your life? For me, I wanted to be a firefighter. And I just think it's really funny because, you know, all these years ago, I never dreamed that God would call me to pastor or that God would even let me do what I'm doing today. I just think that's crazy, weird, and awesome and cool. But I want to say this, I'm still a firefighter. I'm just putting out different fires. You know what I'm talking about? I'm putting out different fires in people's lives. I'm helping people miss the greatest fire they don't want to ever attend in their life. And so some of you, you go, he looks like a firefighter. Okay, now you know why, okay? But I want to tell you, all of us in life, we have had things, we've had moments, we've had episodes 
where we thought we were going to become something and we ended up becoming something else. And for most of us, because it was something we dreamed about when we were a kid, most of us, it didn't wreck us, right? Like some of you, you didn't have to go to counseling because you didn't end up on American Idol. Or you didn't have to go to counseling because you thought you were going to be one thing when you were seven and suddenly when you're 27, you're something totally different. Why is that? Listen, God is all about repurposing our life. All about it. Now, over the next four or five weeks, we're going to look at some places. In fact, I want to share with you a scripture that all of you guys know. And we're going to kick off the series with this scripture because if you've ever graduated from high school or you've like turned 17 or you like did some big accomplishment in your life, I call this the accomplishment verse, okay? This is it. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you have heard that, that verse before? For, right? Right? That's a Hallmark verse right there, right? You find that on the bottom of a card and you read it and you go, oh, that is so sweet. But let me ask you a question. Do you really believe God has a plan for your life? Because this verse, whether you realize it or not, was written to a group of people who were in captivity. They were being exiled. They were in captivity. And in the middle of their captivity, it's like them being imprisoned. God sends them a card and listen to what he says for you. God has big plans for you. That's what he says. I know the plans I have for you. I know the purpose that I have planned out and marked out for your life. So when I ask people all the time, if you believe God has a big plan for your life, raise your hand. How many of you would raise your hand? Every time I ask that, people, people go, oh, maybe. Well, sort of, okay, on Thursday he does, but not on Saturday, okay? I mean, we kind of live our lives like we don't really believe that statement. God has big plans for you. And he has big plans for me. And when God said those words to those captives there in Jeremiah 29, he meant what he said. The problem is, we don't always understand how big God's plans are. In fact, many times we get the whole terminology confused. I mean, some of us, we talk, we're going to be talking about what? Repurpose, re, reuse. Re, some of you go, there's no difference. It's reuse, recycle, repurpose. No, no, no. There are three different terms. So you need to understand the difference. The word reuse means to reuse the same item for the same purpose again. A lot of people live their life in this vein. I'm never going to change. Things will never change in my life. It's just another year. It's just another click on the calendar. And I'm just going to reuse everything over and over again. And that's why you hate your job. That's why you struggle in your life. And you feel like you have no purpose because you just constantly feel reused. In fact, you feel so reused that you feel used up. And then there's the word recycle. And we think, oh, God wants to recycle our lives. Look at what recycle means. To return something to a previous stage for reusable material. So think about that term in our life. God doesn't want to take us back to being a first-time sinner and say, I want to make you a new sinner. I want to take your, your, your life that's bent by how you were born into this place called sin, and, and I just want to make you better than you were. No, 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 that's not God. God's not into recycling. God wants to repurpose our lives. Look what repurpose means. To take an original material and give it a new purpose. 
There are some of you who've come here today at both of our campuses, and you are wondering, why in the world does God want me here on this day? You're going to figure it out today. You've been reused, and you've tried to recycle, and, and God says, no, 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 no. You need to be repurposed. And when I repurpose your life, you're going to realize that, that things are a lot different. See, here's the cool thing about this whole idea about being repurposed. 2,000 years ago, Jesus repurchased our lives back through the cross. In fact, I don't know if you realize this. Jesus bought you back because he had a purpose. He bought you back. You know what we call that? We call it redemption. The word redeem means to buy back. It's like someone walking up and says, I want that right there, and I'm willing to pay whatever price it is for that. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ is the proof of purchase that God wants to repurpose our lives. Can I get an amen? That's it. You go, how do I know God really wants to repurpose me? Look at the cross. Look at it. It says all along, God has a greater purpose for your life, a bigger plan than what you even think or know or can figure out or can understand. It's proof of purchase. And here's the crazy thing about it. Here's what we need to understand today. If Jesus bought you, then he wants to repurpose you. And guess what? He did. He did buy you. He bought you back. He bought you back from sin so that you could be repurposed. But here's the crazy thing. The purchaser now declares and decides the new purpose. See, that's where we struggle sometimes in repurposing. We try to make ourselves into something we never can ever make ourselves into. And God says, wait a minute, I bought you. I bought you back. I'm the one who redeemed you. And I'm now the purchaser. And the purchaser decides the new purpose. It's like you go into an auction and you find a chair and you say, I'm going to turn this chair into a couch. The chair can't look at you and say, I don't want to be a couch. It has no say. If Jesus has bought us back, he purchased us because he has a greater purpose. And you say, well, doesn't God love me the way I am? Listen, I want to make a very honest truth statement to you. God loves you exactly the way you are. And here's how I know that, because he's not willing to let you stay that way. He loves you just like you are. He loves you so much, he's not willing to let you stay in the unfinished, unpurposed state of just saying, I don't know why I'm here. God says, no, I, I got more for you for that. I bought you, and I want to repurpose your life. I mean, think about it this way. God wants to repurpose you for a purpose greater than you. Have you ever thought about that? This isn't just about you. God has repurposed your life for a purpose greater than you. God wants to use your life to impact other people's lives and to change the world. So we have been repurposed for a purpose. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 62. We're going to be looking in there today at just a few verses. Isaiah was a prophet, and a prophet's job was not a glamorous job. In fact, here's kind of how it worked. Isaiah... These are the things I'm about to do in my people, and I want you to go tell them this is what God's about to do. And some of it's going to be really, really good, but some of it's going to be bad because my people keep wandering away from me. So Isaiah, you're going to go tell them, hey, listen, God says this, this judgment's about to happen. Not a real flattering job, okay? Not on the top 10 CEO list of jobs you want to be an Old Testament prophet. 
In fact, if you got it wrong, they would take you outside. If your prophecy didn't come true, they would stone you to death. Not like stone, like, I mean, they would stone you to death. I mean, throw it at you, right? They would take you out. And so Isaiah didn't have a glamorous life. But in the first 40-something chapters of Isaiah, he tells them a lot of prophecies about his people because his people had not only wandered away, but they had found themselves in captivity. And they were so captivated that they had lost their purpose. And then, in Isaiah chapter 60, something really crazy happens. God says, this is what I'm about to do for my people I'm about to repurpose them, and I want you to see the glory of what I'm about to do in their life. And then, in Isaiah 61, he gives us a glimpse of who Jesus is going to be. Because he says, I'm going to repurpose my people, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to come, and he's going to be good news, and he's going to be healing for the broken, and and all these different things. And he said, this is who Jesus is going to be. And then in chapter 62... He says, this is how I want to prove to you that I want to repurpose your life. Look what he says in Isaiah 62, beginning with verse 1. He says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Now, I just want to tell you, I look at this scripture, and to me, this is the moment where God says, give me the microphone. Just give it to me. I mean, the prophet, you know, he was out here telling all the things that God was going to do. But there's this one moment where God says, I want you to give me the microphone. I'm about to tell my people what's up. He says, I will not keep silent. I will not remain silent till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And listen, you will be called by a new name. Everyone say new name. New name, okay. He says, I'm gonna call you by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. And then look what he says. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer, listen, will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hesphabah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. And look what he says now. He says, as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Did you hear what he just told him? He said, hey, listen, I'm about to bring you back, repurpose your life, and here's proof that I'm repurposing you. I'm gonna give you a new name. I'm gonna give you a new name. Listen, when God repurposes our lives, he gives us a new name. He gives us a new name. He looked at his people and he says, you're no longer going to be called deserted. You're not going to be called desolate anymore. And then he uses this term. He says, you're going to be called Hesphabah. Now, I, I, I've been to a lot of nurseries at the hospital. I don't see babies being named Hesphabah. Hey, Hez. I don't see children being named Beulah, unless you live in the deep, deep south, okay? I mean, I don't see those names a lot. But but God says, hey, I got two names for you, and I want to tell you the new name I'm going to give you. He says, Hesphavah, my delight is in her. God says, here's the new name I'm writing over your life. My delight is in you. And then he says, Beulah, to be married. 
You know, it's funny, if you're here and you got engaged over the holidays and you know that you're getting married, man, you told everybody. Like some of you, you got engaged over the holidays. It was a big honking deal. Like all of Facebook knew it in like five minutes. Like you're marking the place where you got engaged. You know, you checked in. And the truth is, God looks at us and in a spiritual sense, he says, here's how I want to prove to you that I want to buy you back, redeem your life. And here's proof that I've repurposed you. I now give you a new name. You got a new name. Our new name, it's evidence of our new purpose. And with that new purpose comes this new direction. I mean, women get this, right? Because when men get married, they don't change their name. But women, like the first thing you do when you find out you're going to get married is you start changing your name. You start going, okay, I love my old name, but I got a new name. And I've actually heard girls and women, they've actually said that name like out publicly. I'm going to be Charles Barkley. I mean, that's a name you want to forget. But the truth is, they call out their new name. So women, you probably get this a lot more than men, but do you realize in the Bible, every time God repurposed somebody's life, he gave them a new name? Old Testament tells us the story of a guy named Abram. And this guy was like, in a sense, a little bit nomadic. And God said, I, I want you to go out because like, you're going to go possess some of the land that is promised to you. And, and he says, but your name is no longer going to be Abram. Your name is going to be Abraham. Why? Because Abraham means the father of many nations. I mean, <laughs> Abram just thought he was going to get some land. God said, no, 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 no. I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a whole new identity. There's another guy in the Bible. His name's Jacob. He actually wrestled with God. Like, that's a wrestling match you don't want to get into, right? Like, you know you're not going to win that one. But the Bible says that he wrestled with God, and when it was over, he had a limp. Like, he literally limped the rest of his life, knocked his hip socket out of joint. And God looked at him, and he said, listen, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel, because you have wrestled with God and survived. And then there's this other guy. We know he was a fisherman in the New Testament. His name was Simon. Like he probably did nothing but hang out at the Bass Pro Shop. But he fished all the time. And Jesus came into his life and Jesus said, your name is no longer Simon. Your name is Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Cook that up. Some of y'all get that later. The truth is this. Every time somebody repurposed their life and God did it in their life, he changed their name because it was proof that they had been repurposed and it gave them a new identity. Here's the problem with that. The world will always attempt to rename you according to its own standards and purposes. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about all the names that this world has spoken over you that are not the names God gave you? I mean, the Bible, there's a story of this guy named Daniel in the Bible. Daniel was the guy who fought the lion in the lion's den. I mean, we know the story, right? Like, you, you kneel down, Daniel. He said, no, we're not going to kneel down. We're just going to, you know, keep standing here, and you can just do whatever you want to us. And so what did they do? They took Daniel and those around him into captivity. And when they took him into captivity, they said, your name's no longer Daniel. Your name is Belteshazzar. What an insulting name is that? Hey, Belteshazzar, come here. <laughs> that just sounds bad. That sounds like you, you lost a bet or something. Your name's now Belteshazzar. But the Bible says that the Babylonian chief, he changed his name. And you know what Belteshazzar means? Bell 
will protect you. See, isn't that what the world does? They just give these little subtle names that they drop on us and they look at us and say, hey, you don't really need all that God can do for you because all these other things, they'll protect you. So he looked at Daniel and said, hey, Daniel, just relax. It's just a name change. It just means that the God that you serve, the God that you worship, you no longer have to depend on him anymore because, Baal, he's got you. And Daniel said, "Uh uh-uh. I can imagine when he came out of that lion's den and we read in chapter six of Daniel for the first time, Nebuchadnezzar looked at Daniel and he called him by his real name. He said, Daniel, whom I call Belteshazzar. I think what Daniel did is he came out of that lion's den and he looked right at Nebuchadnezzar and he said, hey, say my name. Say my name. My name's Daniel. There's some other people just like that. You look in the Bible, there, there, there's, there's three guys. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And when they took them into captivity, they said, hey, listen, we're going to change your name because we literally want to strip you of all your true identity in God. And they said, Mm-mm. the world will always attempt to rename you according to its own standards and purposes. And I want to say this to you. We need to be really careful in our culture because we throw a lot of labels on people and we may think they sound good because they are PC, politically correct, and they're popular and they may sell some items and they may raise some money for a good cause, but they are not the name that God has spoken over our life. Name like I'm a recovering addict. No, Jesus said you're healed. I'm a... I'm a cancer survivor. Oh, dear God. You're more than a conqueror. That's who God says you are. Quit accepting the labels that this world wants to put on your life. God looked at his people and he said, you're no longer deserted. You're no longer desolate. I want to be with you. I want to spend every day with you. You are who I say you are because I gave you that name. So let me ask you a question. Who named you? Who named you? And what name did they call you? You know, I always try to be honest with you guys, but when when I was born, I was the youngest of five kids. My parents absolutely loved me, had amazing parents. But when I was born, my brother was 21 years older than me. He was coming home from Vietnam the day I was born. And so... The brother that's two years ahead of me, like when he was born, it was kind of like, oh, we're having a fourth. (laughs) When the fifth came along, it was like, oh, we should figure this out. (laughs) True story, okay? I'm asking my mom. I was like, mom, where did I get my name? Like, how did y'all pick out my name? And she said, you really want to know? I said, yeah, I want to know. And she said, "Uh, well, we've been in the hospital two or three days. And the doctor came in and said, Mrs. Smith, we can't let you go until you name this son. And my mom and dad didn't know what to name me. They were like, well, we've run out of all these other names. Okay, we didn't think. It's like, you had nine months. <laughs> the true story. My mom says it this way. She said, we're sitting in the Deaconess Hospital in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and a very large African-American nurse walks in. And she looked right in your face and she said, that boy looks like a Sean. And my mom said, then that's what we'll name him. You know, when I was 12 and 13, I'll hear that story and be like, man, 
man, my parents, they don't love me. They didn't name me. <laughs> but you know, now that I'm in my 40s, you know what I realized? God named me. My name means God is gracious. And that's exactly who God is. And that's exactly who I am. Who named you? I mean, earthly names, they're good. I mean, we all know, like, if your mom calls you by all three names, you're dead. She can call you by your first name, it's good. Last name, you know, that reminds you that, you know, you're about to get a whooping, but she calls you by the third name, you're dead. But who in the world named you? Earthly names, uh, they may say a little bit about who you are. They may say a lot about who you are. But what name has God said about you? According to Isaiah 62, he looked at us and he sent Jesus and he came to redeem us and to buy us back. And he said, you are no longer deserted. You are no longer desolate. This is who you are. This is who I've called you. You got a new name. That means you got a new purpose. So how do I, how do I get there? First of all, this, we need to strip away our past. You need to think about a piece of furniture. I had someone, one of our staff guys, he came over and helped um, and, and redid a piece of furniture for us over at Christmas. Ben, he's one of our technical directors and does a phenomenal job, incredible woodworking guy. And he came in and, 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 and he looked at this piece of furniture and he said, the first thing we got to do is we got to sand off everything, everything. I mean, let's be honest. That's the part of repurposing we all hate. Nobody loves sanding. If you do, you're weird. But we had to sand, we had to shave, we had to demo it out, we had to prune it, we had to scrape it. He looked at me and he said, this thing's got 20 years of bad polish on it. It's the part that nobody wants. I mean, the truth is this. We all want the miracle without the mess, right? God says, if I'm going to repurpose your life, you've got to let me strip away your past. So I just found this to be a funny prophetic word, but Ben came over to my house and he was getting ready to work on some stuff and he looked at my front yard and I'm out there working in the front yard while he's working in the garage and he looks at my bushes. He says, hey man, your bushes are dead. I went, what? He goes, yeah, man, that one's alive. That one's dead. That one's alive. That one's dead. And it's like every other one was like half dead. They're on life support. And I thought, man, isn't that a real good friend that would really tell you the truth? Hey man, you need to cut some stuff away. You got to strip it away. I cut those things down. They look like naked fish. Bush, nothing. Bush, nothing. Here's the problem. When you strip away the past, it brings you to a place of barrenness, and no one ever wants to admit the barrenness of their own life. Paul talked about this. Philippians chapter 3, he said, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but look, one thing I do, forgetting what is what? Behind, behind. You ever been out on the highway and watched someone drive through their rearview mirror? Scary. I was in Atlanta the other day and I turned over and this guy was doing about 90 and he passed me and he was driving while he was looking through his rearview mirror and I thought, put your hand forward. You're going to kill us all. Listen, that's why they made windshields seven times larger because we're not supposed to spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror. 
You got to strip away the past. And here's the problem. It's the time when we feel the most alone and the most confused in life because we can't see what the finished product's going to look like. But God does. Why? Because he has an amazing plan. I mean, think about it. It's the most painful part of repurposing. You have to let go of what something used to be in order for it to become something that only God could dream it could be. And that's a very, very scary place. I mean, for some of us, if we're going to strip away our past, it means we got to let go of our bad story. And for some of us, we got to let go of our former glory. Because both will get in the way of God repurposing your life. I had an old wise man set me aside about 10 years ago, and he set me down. He said, Sean, let me tell you something. It's never as bad as you thought it was, and it's never as good as you thought it was. I thought, wow, that's wisdom. So you can sit here and say, well, God can't strip away my past because I got this horrible, bad story. And God looks at us, he says, no, no, you got to give up your bad story and your former glory because I want to do something in your life. I want to repurpose you. That is the whole reason that I bought you back. So here's the challenge. Are you going to let the circumstances of your life name you? Because we all struggle with that every single day. Some of you have allowed the word divorced to name you. Some of you have allowed the word addicted to name you. Some of you have allowed the word cancer to name you. God doesn't say that's who you are. You got to strip away the past if you're going to move into God's purpose. You know what else you need to do? You got to primer the present. You know, primer is a very, very important part of refinishing anything. I, I used to skip the primering part. We've all done that, right? Oh, I sanded it real good. I'll just put a coat of paint on there. Till your wife comes out and she looks at it and says, where's the primer? <laughs> We've got to primer our present. You know what primer does? It prepares the surface for long-lasting transformation. It prepares the surface. You see, for us in our lives, we need to define where we really are in our life, and then we need to accept what God says about it, and then we need to begin priming the present with the reality of God's promises, not our feelings. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, man, I need counsel on this issue, and it never fails. They usually start with this. I feel like, and I go, whoa, 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 what did you have for dinner last night? Was it Tex-Mex? Because that could affect how you feel. But I have very few people walk in and say, you know, Sean, God says this. And so I'm standing on this. You got to primer your present. And how do you do it? Listen, God primers our perspective through his promises. Why? So that the repurposing sticks in our life. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.20, he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. You know what that means? That means that exactly what God told Isaiah in Isaiah 61 about who Jesus was going to be and who we are in Isaiah 62 is true because of that statement right there. They are yes in Christ. So let me ask you a question. How much of your life are you priming with God's promises? Don't prime it with your feelings. That's a bad can of primer. Don't prime it with your circumstances. (laughs) 
they won't, they won't match up. You need to begin to prime your perspective through the promises of God. What promises of God is he wanting to prime over your life? What promises? You know, the last thing we got to do, we got to let God apply the finishing coat. We need to let God apply, God apply the final coat. Because here's what happens. We know what the promises of God say. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. We know exactly that we got to, we all know we got to strip away the past. We all know we need a really good primer if it's going to stick. But here's what we do. Hey, God, let me have the brush. I think I can paint better than you. God, I want you to paint it this way. And God says, no, 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 no. I mean, how many of you, if you went to an auction and you bought a piece of furniture and you stripped it away and all of a sudden the furniture started talking back at you and says, no, no, you don't know how to paint, stupid. (laughs) It's the same way when we try to say to God, God, listen, I got this. You just let me keep applying the final coat. And God says, no, you got to surrender to my purpose for your life. I bought you back. I have the receipt. It's the cross of Christ. And now I want to do something you never even fathomed that you could ever become because my plans for you are big. They're big. Let God apply the final code. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2. He said, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Whose purpose? God's. We need to surrender to God's purpose in our life and say, God, you take your brush and you apply the coat that you want to apply because here's the deal, I'm not that good of a painter. And I want your purpose and your promises stroked all over my life. No matter how painful, no matter how difficult, because I want you to repurpose me. Would you bow your heads with me today?